0: You're listening to the International Literature Festival Dublin's Story Machine Podcast, an exclusive, limited series exploring diverse aspects of children's literature.
1: Welcome to this podcast on award-winning books for children. My name's Porik White, and I'm director of the Master's Programme in Children's Literature at the School of English, Trinity College, Dublin.
2: And I'm Sinead Moriarty. I specialise in children's literature, and for the last couple of years, I've been working with Porek at the School of English in Trinity, including having the opportunity to teach on the Master's in Children's Literature.
1: Hi, Sinead. Hi, Porik. <laughs> so today we'll be chatting about books and book awards, uh, their role and function, who gets to decide on what book for children deserves an award? What are some of the complexities involved in this process? And do these award-winning books stand the test of time?
2: So we're going to be talking about some really interesting co- topics, including crossover fiction, the role of illustrators, um, and also politics, the politics of awards, which is a really fascinating topic, um, and some of the criteria, so what makes a book award-winning. Joining us today are three students from the Enfield in Children's Literature at Trinity. So we have Bailey, Dee, and Sindhu.
1: So let me introduce them. Uh, Bailey studied English literature at the University of Alberta in Canada for her undergrad and her MPhil dissertation will discuss fantasy spaces and their function in The Hobbit. Hi Bailey. Hi work. And the next person on our panel of experts is Dee, who studied English at Trinity. Uh, she was a law scholar working on children's literature and her dissertation is focused on female empowerment in Irish young adult literature. Hi, Dee. Hi. And Sindhu, the final person on our panel of experts. She did her postgrad at Stella Maurice College in India, and her MPhil dissertation is about ecology and childhood construction in East Indian tribal young adult fiction. So welcome, Sindhu. Thanks, Barry. So you're all very welcome. Okay, book awards. Let's get started.
3: So,
2: maybe a good place to start is to talk about some of the awards that exist. And there are lots and lots of different children's books awards. And some of them you might have heard of, and some of them are a little bit less well known. Some of the oldest ones include the American based awards like the Newbery Medal, which was established in 1922 by the American Library Association. And that's awarded every year for an author for the best children's book of the year. And there's also the Caldecott Medal, which is awarded to an artist for the best illustrated children's book of the year. In the UK, Some of the more high profile awards are like the Carnegie Medal, which was set up in 1936. And there's a sister medal to that, the Kate Greenaway Medal, which is awarded to an illustrator. And you might have heard of those because there's lots of school groups do things like Carnegie read-alongs.
1: And just a question for you, Sinead, then to get things started. Uh, Who were the first winners of the Carnegie Medal and the Kate Greenaway Medal?
2: Yeah, so um, Arthur Ransom won the Carnegie for Pigeon Post um, and Edward Ardizzone won the Greenaway in 1957 for Tim All Alone, which he wrote and illustrated. Um, And then if we think about in Ireland, in the Irish context, there's uh, awards like the Children's Books Ireland Awards. Um, And like with other awards, there's a number of prizes given out as part of these awards. So every year, the CBI Awards include the Book of the Year Award, the Honor Award for Fiction, the Honor Award for Illustration, the Alish Dillon Award for a first children's book, uh, the Judge's Special Award and the Junior Jury's Award. Um, And there are lots of other awards too uh, that you might have heard of, like the On Post Irish Book Awards, the Guardian Children's Fiction Prize, the Ezra Jack Keats Award, which is given to an author and and an illustrator who are kind of early stage in their careers. And then there's also um, awards that seek to kind of respond to maybe a lack of representation or recognition in some of the major awards um, or that want to highlight and celebrate specific books or authors. So, um, we can think about awards like the Coretta Scott King Awards, which is again run by the American Library Association, who give out the Newbery Medal and the Caldecott Medal. And the Coretta Scott King Book Awards are given every year to outstanding African-American authors and illustrators of books for children and young adults that demonstrate an appreciation of African-American culture and universal human values. The American Library Association also sponsors an awards um, called the Stonewall Book Awards, which recognise exceptional merit relating to the gay, lesbian, bisexual, Sexual transgender experience so we can see just this brief and not not in any way representative of all the awards but we can see that there is a huge number of awards and these actually do make a real difference in the sales of a book or maybe the profile of an author so um, maybe if i ask our panel what, what about you guys in your own experience do awards play a role in your decision to buy books are you looking out for that little gold or silver sticker on the front page
0: uh not really that much anymore i think for me um that's because at this stage I just try to read as much so I buy pretty much indiscriminately I just walk into a bookshop and just (laughs) sweep the bookshelf into my basket um but as a child it would have been a big influence on my parents when they were buying my books for me they would have always tried to buy award winners.
1: Thanks for that Dee um what about Bailey uh what are your thoughts on this?
4: Yeah I would say it's also not really a factor for how I read books now, but when I was a child as well, like going into the library, they're always recommending uh, books that had won awards. And now I usually tend to, if I don't know, say, a person that well that I'm buying a gift for, it. if I get a book on uh, a shortlist, then it's usually a pretty good guide. But I'm like, this will be a good book that they might enjoy. I usually use it for that.
1: Yeah. Um, so it does have an influence then. Uh, what about you, Sindu?
4: Yeah, I agree with Dee
3: and Bailey. I don't... I- It doesn't all win my choice of purchase, but I do buy as formal gifts, as Bailey said, when I'm unaware of the person's reading taste.
1: Brilliant. And a follow up question to that then is thinking about some of your favorite books, were they also award winners?
4: Yeah, I guess. Well, I've always had a soft spot for The Hobbit. Tell us my dissertation. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'll be spending a lot of time with it. A lot. Uh, A lot of time. (laughs) Uh, And so it was nominated for the Carnegie uh, in 1937, but it didn't win. And for a classic and a novel that has had such longevity and critical acclaim, you would assume that it has been more awarded than it really has. But um, it has won one award, but it's um, not one of the major ones. It's um, a New York Herald Tribune for Best Juvenile Fiction of the Season uh, from the same year, 1937.
0: Yeah, for me, Inkart was always one of my favourites by uh, Cornelia Funke. And it would have won like a good few awards in Germany. It was originally written in German. But when it was translated, that didn't really seem to transfer in the English language. It didn't seem to get much recognition. Um, I don't know if that was like a, if it wasn't eligible or something like that.
3: For me as a kid, it was the Magic School Bus series, which was written by Joanna Cole and illustrated by Bruce Deegan. Uh, and out of the entire series, Magic School Bus Explodes the Census won the IRA CBC Children's Choice Award. And off lately, I find myself drawn to historical fiction. And my current favorite novel is Salt to the Sea by Ruta Tetius, which has won the 2017 Carnegie Award.
1: Ah, uh, yes, Cindy. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned there Salt to the Sea uh, because isn't it considered by many to be a crossover novel that there are difficulties in actually categorizing this because i suppose the crossover novel and we get the crossover novel it's not a it's not a new phenomenon you know it can be found in the 19th century mark twain's work uh, or little women you know um, right up to the present day but thinking about salted of the sea then and its categorization as a crossover novel this raises questions about how we identify and categorise book awards more generally, doesn't it?
3: Yes, The Salt of the Sorcerer's Sea is really a fascinating book in itself, but like you say, it also raises interesting questions about categorization. Could you tell us a little bit about what the book is about? Well, The Salt Sea is a novel about a lesser-known historical incident, which is the sinking of the German army ship Wilhelm Gustloff after it was torpedoed by the Soviet submarine S-13 during the Second World War. So the novel records the Operation Hannibal, which involves the evacuation of civilians and soldiers by sea. And this is narrated from the point of view of four main protagonists from different cultural backgrounds. And I'm so inclined to read an extract from the text. And so here, here it goes.
1: Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Just to give us a sense of the author and the writing. Great.
3: The so Wilhelm Kostloff was pregnant with lost souls conceived of war. They would crowd into a belly and she would give birth to their freedom. But did anyone realize the ship was christened for a man, Wilhelm Kussloff? My father had told me about him. He had been the leader of the Nazi party in Switzerland. He was murdered. The ship was born of death. So coming back to your question about categorization, um, I feel the children's books award like Carnegie and Kate Winaway consider broader categories of books, including poetry, nonfiction, graphic novels, and that is especially meant for children and young people. And this broader category of awards is inclusive by nature to include subcategories like crossover fiction. For example, Setkir's books, Crossover Novels, has won uh, the 2017 Carnegie, which is The Salt of the Sea, and The Fountains of Silence, which is also part of the 2021 Carnegie nominations. But at the same time, they're not distinctive enough to know under which subcategory they fall. So I feel the existing categorization in book awards like Carnegie is superficial and should include more detailed subcategories like genre. And I guess this naturally brings us back to the question, should crossover fiction be treated as a separate category for awards? So Bailey and Dee, what do you think about that?
4: Right, like dividing awards in general is um, so tricky. It's not like a black and white decision because children's literature itself, when um, as applicable to different genres and audiences and it's children's literature itself is crossover. So um, asking if it should be even divided further is such a big question. Um, because children's literature encompasses all these uh, genres, um, it would be hard to include several subcategories without creating just several, several awards. And I wonder if the amount of awards would somehow diminish the prestige and how would you even start to divide those up? and. Um, How would we even decide which texts would be considered crossover um, in terms of, is that something is decided before publication? Um, Surely most books are written with a specific audience in mind. And then when they're published, it's almost a surprise when they resonate with a group that is in a different age category than perhaps they were intended to be for.
0: Yeah, that's really true. I think it it is marketed to a group before publication. And then it kind of goes on to resonate with different audiences. And then you have something by like the Book Thief by Marcus Uzak, who that won like Publishers Weekly Best Children's Book of the Year and the National Jewish Book Award for Children's and Young Adult Literature. But he's considered kind of an adult writer and his, his agent is like an adult list agent. And that book ended up with like adult and children's editions. So that They could, I don't know, adults could read it without feeling embarrassed about reading it almost in that way. They weren't reading like a children's cover. Right. Like
4: the same text has appealed between those, like, you know, quote, adult and child audiences. Um, And you can even think of, like, look at all the kids who grew up reading Harry Potter and there's these new released adult editions. But you don't just stop liking these books, you know, when you turn 18, you know, they stay with you and children's books. Don't lose that that appeal that they had when you were a child. And though it's the same novel, despite a cover that is, I guess, was chosen because it was considered more serious. And so, like you said, they didn't feel like they were reading a novel for children. Um, When books are marketed for adults, then it seems that they're taken more seriously. And the wording is therefore treated much differently than if they're targeted for children. So what do you think should there be separate awards for crossover fiction?
0: I think it's a real tricky one because I read a lot of of books that are technically for children, that I think are really impactful and worthy of reading. And then I go and I bother every adult I know to go read them. Um, <laughs> and especially if a book is winning a children's award, that means that it's a standout in its field. So I feel like adults will enjoy them and benefit from them as long as they're not dead inside. And I think a part of, <laughs> I think a part of me is just inclined to caveat that. I would always have considered it children's literature is for children and up. But I think if you start to apply that to awards, then it might actually devalue the existence of books that are written specifically for children in mind. And that being its own category and that we don't exclude them when we go to publish and produce books. So I don't think that's an ideal situation either. Right.
1: And Cindy, you were the one that asked this question. Uh, What do you think about this yourself?
0: Well, I guess it's
3: debatable. There aren't any major problems when a subcategory like crossover fiction is subsumed under a broader category of awards. But when a young adult novel like Septius, Salt to the Sea, is also widely read by adults as an of crossover fiction, one might not help but wonder how this novel is categorized specifically for children's books award like the Carnegie. So in this case, creating a separate category might come in handy to distinguish fluid categories like crossover fiction which doesn't exactly fit into a single category.
2: Right, yeah and I, I suppose it's particularly interesting because quite a few crossover books have won major awards in uh, over the last few years
4: Um, isn't that right? Right and as Steve brought up earlier The Book Thief um, which also was a Michael L Prince Honour book, the Prince award is given to the best book for teens based only on the quality of writing um, you could also say anything about Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett, um, one that comes to mind is the monster calls by Patrick Nest and Jim Tate, which won, uh, both the Carnegie and the sister metal, the Kate Greenway in 2012.
0: Yeah, I think um, Francis Harding's The Lie Tree is an interesting example as well, because that won both the Children's Award in the 2015 Costa Book Awards. And it also won Book of the Year, which is chosen from the winning books in the other categories in the Costa Awards. And I think it's only twice that it's happened that the Children's winner has won that Book of the Year. The other was Philip Pullman's The Amber Spyglass in 2001. So it doesn't really happen that much.
2: Right. Absolutely. And when it does happen, you know, so much is made of it. Like when a children's book like that goes on to win an overall book award, like the Costa Award, you know, it gets a lot of attention, you know, and this is often presented in the media as kind of a surprise or a curiosity, like why or how could a children's book possibly win? And, you know, how could it beat out all of these books for adults? But I suppose our question, when we know the quality that exists in, in children's books is, well, why not really?
3: I think it's this mainly springs from the underestimation of children's literature. The Costa Award considers books in five categories and children's literature is one among those categories. Uh, we always just presume that an adult book will win the overall award because there is a feeling that books for adults are inherently better quality. I agree. I think there's,
4: I think that children and young adult books often left out from these overall book awards um, in general for the same reason. Um, uh, one that comes to mind is Mark had in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night Time won the cost award, but was also long listed for the men Booker Prize. And many observers were surprised that it did not advance to the shortlist. And John Kerry, who was the chairman of the panel at the time, said noted that there was a division between the judges' panel of people who were really moved by this book and hinting that there are some people that may not have chosen it because it was for young adults. Um, perhaps because children's novels are not taken seriously when it comes to the larger market. Um, there was a similar controversy with The Prisoner of Azkaban in 2000. Um, so it won the inaugural Whitman Children's Book of the Year Award, but it lost to the Book of the Year prize uh, to Seamus Haney's translation of Beowulf. And so the controversy there was that a translation of an old text, which has already been acclaimed, won over an original children's novel, and perhaps because it was just that. And on the other side, people thought if the children's book won the prize, somehow the award would become less valuable and less credible, um, which, again, is sort of ridiculous. But <laughs> books like these are often left out of major overall category awards because they're aimed for younger readers. So I do wonder if books that are explicitly young adult um, geared towards the young adult audience uh, have less of a chance. And so authors sometimes blur that line between young adult and adult so they can be considered for more awards.
0: I think there's something really fascinating happening in kind of the reverse of that as well, especially when it comes to awards, where books that are supposedly aimed at adults and then obviously subsequently are considered for adult awards, I kind of feel would be better off aimed at teen readers explicitly and I'm thinking specifically of Normal People here by Sally Rooney because I really felt that that should have been a YA book like the story starts when they're in secondary school they're teenagers and more and more young adult books are starting to include their characters going to university. university. Um, Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell is a huge one so it really does read like a contemporary young adult novel that has been placed in the wrong category and there, there are a lot of books in the young adult category that are very similar and some that I would personally consider to be a higher standard. And Normal People won the Costa and it was longlisted for the Booker. And I don't know if it would have gotten as much acclaim, even if there had been nothing changed in the text, if it had been marketed in the teen section.
1: Well, why do you think that is? Like, well, Why is Normal People not published then as young adult literature? Is it something to do with the content? Like, Is it to do with the sex scenes in Normal People? Or... or- What do you think?
0: I don't think that really explains it. I mean, I've read a lot of young adult books that have sex scenes that are maybe explicit without being obscene, I suppose. It's always handled tastefully with sensitivity when they're both consenting participants. But some of them are quite detailed. And young adult novels are kind of doing really well in tackling really more complex topics like sexual assault or drug use or something. And I admit it's less common, but There was nothing in Normal People for me that I would consider out of place in a young adult novel. And there are so many contemporary young adult novels that are doing what normal people does just as well. Um, And that I would actually maybe consider less juvenile in in kind of how they're framed, I suppose. And they never end up anywhere close to getting the same recognition. Right.
4: I think, you know, the reason as we Kind of alluding to is that these books get marketed as quote adult texts is exactly because of this wider bias and public perception of children's literature as a whole. And so children's books are rarely nominated for overall awards such as the book, or even if they are totally deserving. Um, And especially not if they're picture books, unfortunately, which are a neglected genre with even the neglected category of children's literature. So perhaps, you know, authors, publishers, et cetera, you know, try to keep their novels away from young adult or children's literature labels if they can. Cross over to the adult um, literature to open some themselves up to more award considerations. A lot of these bigger awards, such as the book bear, still feel like they're reserved for adults and adult books. Uh, even if they recognize a children's novel, it's as if, like we've been saying, they would lose their prestige or something. Um, so they call it adult fiction for the recognition of those awards. So, young adult literature, as we've been talking about, as a particular genre, is underrated in literary circles, despite grappling with, as you said, similar themes uh, with adult fiction and being a dominant genre in the publishing market as a whole. So Dee, as our young adult literature enthusiast, you must have some strong feelings on this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, I still kind of feel that there's a sense that young adult is still maybe looked down on or undervalued and I think you know children's literature has a longer history but I think we've only started to recognize young adult as a separate thing maybe a Not too much later on, but still more recently. And you see this especially for teen girls, like across a lot of our culture, like where if it's popular with teen girls, it's probably not taken very seriously. Look at One Direction or something, which is an awful shame, I think, because some of the most beautifully written and breathtaking stories I've ever read have been young adults, and some people won't even consider them because of their age category.
3: Yeah, exactly, Dee. There are lots of examples I mean, interesting examples of how books end up being published for YA audience or for adult audience, or how authors struggle to get their work published in different categories. For example, Septius couldn't get her books for children published in Italy because she's viewed as an author for adults.
2: Yeah, and this is despite the fact that she's, an, like you've said, an award-winning um, author. And Cindy, did you say Septius has a book
3: on the shortlist for this year's Carnegie as well? Yes, The Fountains of Silence is on the shortlist, along with Look Both Ways by Jason Reynolds, which is published by Nightsoff and Run Rebel by Manjeet Ma. They're also on the shortlist for this year's Carnegie. And the Carnegie winners will be
4: announced on the 16th June. And so that's something else I've been thinking about when we were talking about uh, book awards for this podcast um, sort of the timing of these announcements. Um, so the Children's Books uh, Ireland Awards, the short, long list and winners are coming out before summer break. Um, and as we said, it was sort of a guide for us to buy books for friends. It also seems like it's a guide for parents on what books to buy for children to read before they start school the next year. And I wonder if it is a publishing trend to have books for children ready at this time.
1: So you kind of mean that the the children's books publishing, or this is the children's books publishing equivalent of the summer blockbuster, is that it?
4: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's uh, books, you know, are for published, on the awards websites with these descriptions is very much about sales and trying to um, promote these books as well as um, the books themselves.
1: Okay, well, what, what do you mean by that? Can you explain it a bit more for us?
4: Yeah, for sure. So uh, an example to be uh, C.S. Lewis and the Carnegie Award. So the last battle um, won the Carnegie Award and it's the last novel of the Chronicle of Narnia series. Probably the least deserving, in my opinion. Oh, I'm going to the stop you there. Why, why is
1: it the least <laughs> deserving? Is it Per Susan?
4: Wow. Well, it's just, if you think about it, it seems as though it was given that award because it was the last of the series. And it's almost like retrospectively, we should have given it to the, to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or any of the other of the series. But it's not as strongly written as the other ones. The main characters are no longer at play. They come in at the end like xenophobic uh, imagery as well in terms of the drawings and in the text itself uh, very much favoring religions over others and so I think as a whole like it's just not as strong of a text as the rest of the series but because it was C.S. Lewis and because the series was so successful I think they're like oh we better give him this award because it's the last battle it's the last <laughs> he's keep giving us a sign that it's the last one. <laughs>
1: So plenty of reasons then.
4: Right. And um, it is listed on the website uh, with the suggestion to buy the entire series, not just the one that won. Um, And so, of course, this was chosen before the Internet. So online sales were not in mind at the time in the 50s. (laughs) But now... uh, they're listing the winner and the collection for profit, and it, you can have all the winners uh, that way as well. And something else about the current Award that I've been thinking about is that C.S. Lewis is the only one who was given the award. Uh, the illustrator who worked with him, uh, Pauline Baines, was not awarded. And as we discussed, the Carnegie Award does have that separation with the sister medal, the Kate Greenway Award for illustrators, and not always the same text wins each year. So an ex- exemption to that would be A Monster Calls, uh, which won in the same year, uh, Patrick Ness and Jim Kay, respectively. And this is despite, so C.S. Lewis and Tol- J.R. Tolkien credited Pauline Baines's illustrations as being a compliment and working closely to their own written work. Uh, but Again, she's not credited. So she did go on to win the Kate Greenway 10 years later um, for her work, but her contribution to the last battle specifically goes unawarded, though the book boasts a Carnegie Award.
2: And so do you think then that that's reflective of a broader issue where, you know, maybe traditionally illustrators are treated badly or aren't recognised properly when it comes to children's book awards?
4: Yeah, I, I feel like... We have to look at the text as that full complete body of work in those awards that are awarding the specific text. And ideally, both contributors should be credited if the book won. So even though it is a novel, uh, which is made up of illustrations and written text, if they should both be equally credited. And perhaps this is more complicated with the Caldecott Medal that you mentioned earlier, Sinead, uh, which is for picture books that is looking specifically for illustrations. But even then, we see illustrators getting left behind, um, illustrators on the site. For purchasing Caldecott Medal winners from several libraries and booksellers, the illustrators are listed second, even though they're the ones who have the award for their drawings, or they're not listed at all until you click to purchase the book. So illustrators are even left behind in the award. For illustrators, it seems, went on the, in terms of the online presence. I think especially in novels. So in particular, illustrators are left behind, and this is reflected in the awards that are usually only uh, given to the authors.
2: Right, yeah. And this is actually one of the things that separates children's books from books for adults, which is like the prominence of visual texts in this field. And there are some amazing illustrators, both historically and, and people working right now.
4: Right, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, some of my favourites are um, Arthur Rackham's warm-toned, like watercolours, for Peter Pan and Kensington Gardens, John Claxton's Hat Trilogy, who is also Canadian, which is fun. Uh, so <laughs> Emily Hughes as wild and Little Gardeners. Uh, I wonder as well, like, should a word separate illustrations and words uh, or look at the text as a whole? Like, how important are illustrations when judging a novel?
0: Yeah, I think sometimes I feel that the texts, even if they're not like picture books, they're really made by the illustrations. Like, you've got things that, like, John Tenniel's work on Alice in Wonderland and Quentin Blake's illustrations of Roald Dahl. Beatrix Potter did her own illustrations of the Peter Rabbit and... Um, E.H. Shepard did A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh, and it's just it's really difficult to imagine these books without those illustrations. And they're so ingrained in our idea of what the book is; like they kind of exist in our cultural cultural consciousness with these illustrations. Like, especially in the case of Blake and Dahl, like they're such an integral part of the overall composition. So, should they not get equal credit for, I suppose, the impact and the success of the book when it's become such a big part for specific texts? Um, and do they always get the credit? I mean, I think a good example is Deirdre Sullivan's Tango Weed and Brian, which was illustrated by Karen Vaughan and it won several awards in 2018. I think it won the Irish Book Awards, the On Post Awards, um, YA Book of the Year Award, and the Children's Books Ireland Book of the Year. And I know that in the photo on the Irish Book Awards website, Sullivan is actually holding the trophy alone in the image. And on the CBI page, it has both Sullivan and illustrator Vaughan in the pictures without the award and Vaughan is standing behind Sullivan so it's just an example of how illustrators are sometimes sidelined even though those illustrations are absolutely essential to that specific book.
3: Yeah I do agree with you Dee, I personally feel illustrations to a major extent influence what we read and for instance uh, if we look more specifically at Chris Riddle's illustrations they add life to Neil Gaiman's work So I would argue that illustrations also help to fill in gaps created by the text at some time. And in that case, both the text and illustrations work as an organic unit. So I don't see the point when illustrators don't get the recognition they deserve.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point, Cindy. I think, you know, particularly when it comes to issues of counterpoint, I mean, you can't have one without the other. I mean, that's what creates the meaning, like like you say there. Um, So, yeah, I think picture books and illustrated texts... um, are bound up in these paradynamics in children's literature itself and it's something that absolutely needs to be addressed. Um, Who knows, uh, do you think one day we might actually see a a picture book on the Booker Prize shortlist? What do you think?
4: I don't think so. Um, Unfortunately, just visual texts tend to be overlooked, um, as we've been sort of alluding to. Sometimes even when author and illustrator work as closely together as uh, Blake and Dahl, uh, to create a cohesive whole, the illustrator still sort of gets ignored, as I was suggesting with Lewis and the Ward's websites. Uh, when we're listing illustrators previously, I'd have to say, apart from Blake and maybe Beatrice Potter, uh, most readers sometimes don't immediately know these contributors to the famous images that they're familiar with and, and that are in these classic texts. Um, Tolkien and Lewis, who were close friends, work closely with Baines. And in their letters, they discuss the function of illustration in their text. Um, Tolkien persuaded Louis to Steve's illustrations, which uh, he did use himself in his lesser known works for children, uh, describing her work as a collateral theme to his text that reduced the words to a commentary on the drawings. Um, so, referring to that gap we were talking about earlier, uh, he noted that a children who could not read can read these illustrations before they can even um, uh, read the words for lack of a better word, <laughs> because they reminded them of these medieval tapestry and stained glass, and they're very ornate. Um, and this just shows that even though the author was throwing praises at me and thought so highly of her, and these illustrations are so essential to the text, as they thought, um, where this isn't always reflected in the awarding of, for these texts.
0: Yeah, I think this idea of recognition that you're talking about, Bailey, raises some really interesting questions about the criteria that we have for awards. Like, what are the considerations behind these decisions, especially when we're coming up with a shortlist? And some awards are really transparent about their criteria. The Carnegie website lists its main criteria as a book that provides an outstanding reading experience and then it has a very long list of questions like a checklist of does the book do x but what does an outstanding reading experience exactly mean um similarly i know cbi's main criteria is excellence that's what they're looking for but excellence is kind of a subjective concept and there are so many contexts in which i think a book can be excellent in one way but maybe not excellent in another way So when panels go about shortlisting for awards and constructing those lists, what considerations are they bringing into decisions and what are the impacts of those decisions, I suppose, is what I think is really interesting. Like, If you look at previous shortlists, what kind of texts are getting highlighted or prioritized? Like, are we solely looking at the quality of writing or do we consider innovations in the field, contributions they might have made to important discussions or inclusions of underrepresented characters? I guess, I suppose, is it more important for a book to have beautiful writing or for it to have a good message to take away? Um, And I think maybe we can run into some problems when those elements are clashing. Can you award a book for absolutely gorgeous writing? if it sends maybe a bad message, how do we feel then about older award winners that are maybe not quite as politically correct as we would like them to be anymore, and perhaps maybe have conclusions that we wouldn't consider um, good to impart to child readers today? So what do we do in those situations? Right, and this happened recently with Dr. Seuss, who has you know, has a very unique and distinct style that most of us are
4: familiar with and um, a number of his titles uh, were discontinued for publishing due to insensitive content and for example one of the ones that were on that list for race illustrations um, If I Ran the Zoo had won the Caldecott Medal in 1951 and as I was saying earlier with Lewis a why I thought the last battle uh, didn't so the Carnegie it's listed on the website as a book to buy but there are some um, anti-Semitic and Islamophobic passages in the text so this book is still being held on to that pedestal as a book to
0: buy for children, but
4: um, we need to address the content that's in the books for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a much wider debate, I suppose, than just awards of what's appropriate for children and maybe the didactic element of children's book. But I do think it's really important to consider what exactly we want to draw attention to when we're placing a book on a shortlist, because there seems to be a kind of implicit suggestion that these books are good quality and deserve to be read due to their status as an award nominee Um, so I suppose I guess it seems inevitable that there are political or ideological considerations surrounding book awards especially for children because they're obviously more impressionable and are maybe taking more away from the reading experience than a more developed reader Um, and I know there's been a lot of focus on diversity in recent years and I consider that really important. Like for me, I don't consider a book well-written anymore unless it's diverse because it doesn't seem like thorough, decent world building anymore. So, for example, like the Carnegie has nominated a book that's published by Knights of who are quite new and small. And they're focused on publishing diverse books and they're really trying to change the landscape of children's literature in terms of diversity. And I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, but like even if there was a consensus that perhaps it didn't have the most beautiful writing style or, you know, the plot was maybe a bit simplistic, would it not still be beneficial for that book to win for the bigger picture for the fact that it's part of a system that's trying to affect change and represent groups of people who are significantly underrepresented thus far? Um, So I suppose, is that not as valid an achievement as a children's book as being well-written?
1: there are lots of brilliant questions there Dee Um, but is it are they part of a broader question then about children's book awards um you know do you think that the shortlists can impact on the kinds of books that are being written or that publishers want produced more generally
0: yeah I certainly think they can but I suppose I'm just going to answer your question with another question of whether or not they should (laughs) (laughs) and again that comes down to how the shortlist was put together what went into that decision, who was doing that and who, what were their priorities when they were making those decisions?
3: I think that's one way to look at it. And the shortlist might influence the publishing trends. And if it does, we need to pause here and ask ourselves, will our reliance on shortlist of prominent books undermine the prediction of books that are different from the list? But
0: I feel it calls for another set of discussion entirely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a lot bigger than we can fit into one session. But I think there may be something arise from all these questions that people have been asking. And historically, what's been winning awards is the kind of development of specialized awards, like you mentioned, Sinead earlier, um, the Coretta Scott King and the Stonewall, which focuses on sp- specific marginalized groups. And I think it's so important to celebrate those novels and. Get those writers some recognition. And the reason those awards exist is because they weren't winning in the major awards and it wasn't fair. Um, So I believe those awards are really necessary and they do gain authors recognition. And obviously, when you're shortlisted, your sales go up, which is always great, especially for underrepresented communities. My worry there is if something is nominated for a specialized award, does it actually lessen the chance of it winning something like the Carnegie or the Newbery, where they're like, oh, well, it'll win the Stonewall, so we don't have to give it the award either?
3: Yeah, I personally feel it circles back to the question of how book awards are categorized. On these books that you mentioned, like which demonstrate an appreciation for African-American culture, universal human values and LGBTQ plus have more probability of winning Carnegie or Newbery, despite winning the specialized award, if there exists something more than the broader category. So that's something which has popped out of my mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what we can agree on there, Sindhu, is that it comes back to the people behind the awards, like who's the arbiter of of books for children and whether these books are worthy of the awards. And we have to consider that there are awards as well that are something like Kids' Choice Awards. I know CBI do that. They do like a junior juries. And it has actually been shown to really benefit children. Studies have shown they gain confidence and a sense of agency And apparently it also helps them develop relationships with peers and things like that. And yet it's rarely the focus of the major award that's going, even though I suppose who is better placed to say what's the best book for children than children. So who are we as adults to decide what the best book for children is? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. So then do you think that rather than having a judging panel like that, you know, for you know, for short lists or final winners, that they should be voted on by popular vote and um, something more along the lines of the on
4: post book awards? Yeah, perhaps, but I think there is a value as well as having a judging panel of experts to judge the author as peers. Um, and as we we're saying, these short lists and long lists are important to bring Recognition to authors who do not win, and because that platform significantly increases author success and the novel success. Um, so, basically, in some, there's not, not really an answer, easy answer to that other than um, to have perhaps both judging panels and popular vote awards, and accept that sometimes what a group of critics decide may not align with what's popular at the time or what uh, people like. And, I wonder if it can be an amalgamation of both.
3: If so, it will be interesting to see whether the choice of the popular vote aligns with that of the judging panel. And there can be discussions around why it does or doesn't align.
0: I mean, recently, I think it was 2019, Kelly McCochrane's Flying Tips for Flightless Birds, I think it was the first winner to come away with three awards at the Children's Books Island Awards in the 29 years that the award has been going. Um, And that included the Children's Choice as well as the overall award. And it also included the Eilish Dillon for First Book, I think, which is pretty cool to see the choices actually line up with the popular vote. I don't actually think it happens as much as we might expect. Right.
4: And that just leads us back to one of our first questions. Um, who should arbitrate these awards for children's books and that apostrophe of children's literature claims ownership but rarely do the children decide Um, and it's interesting to see when the children's choice does align with um, the panel's decision. Um, So is it often that the children's choice aligns with the overall book? Do we know?
1: Well in the KPMG Children's Books Ireland Awards um, it has happened a few times and but what I find the response to it always very interesting because when it does happen, uh, very often the idea is that the adult panel of judges have somehow, quote, got it right. Um, but it never seems to work the other way around. Um, so nobody says, oh, look, the child readers have got it right. So I find that really interesting because even when it comes to judging panels and uh, thinking of the makeup of these panels, um, when it comes to uh, younger readers and children's choice awards and so on, we have to examine the makeup of these children's judging panels as well. And and the politics of that, who chooses the children um, to go into that panel? Because ultimately, children's literature is an industry that's created by adults, adult authors, adult illustrators, um, adult gatekeepers, whether they're teachers, librarians or whatever. So they play a role in... Um, choosing who gets to be on this children's uh, jury in the first place. But what sort of children are in this jury, are making up this panel? Because children aren't a homogenous group either. You know, they all read and think in different ways, in the same way that adults and read and think in different ways. So who are these young people, um, these young readers? Are they straight kids? Are they gay kids? Black, white, male, female, uh, trans, non-binary? you know are they differently abled so all of that then would count to the makeup of the panel too so so their background and their experience impact on what they themselves might think might be a good book and um, so I suppose my, my point here is that when you start to break that down it becomes just as complex as like examining the makeup of an adult judging panel.
4: Right I think so and I think there's no easy answers to to that or any questions that we've raised. There's no definite answer when it comes to literature. I think that's, you know, part of what makes it so fun and why we all like to uh, be studying. it. Um, and Porik and Sinead, uh, you're probably well positioned to answer some of these questions that are sort of behind the scenes about your role on judging panels uh, as you both are serving on panels this year. Uh, what do you like to look for and what is the process as part of a group? So
2: I think one of the things that uh, like I was looking for, um, and this is my first time serving on a judging panel this year, and I found the process really fascinating, kind of like you're saying, like a sneak peek behind the door. And, but I thought that most, like everyone in the group seemed to be looking for Yes, certainly that idea of excellence, also books that are doing something different, something that you don't see all the time. And I think one of the exciting things about children's book awards is that maybe there's less pressure not to award a genre, you know, that, that there's, if you look at the shortlist, of the KPMG um, Children's Books Ireland Awards there's loads of different books on there like from something as different as you know The Boldness of Betty which is about the 1913 lockout versus the visual text The Haunted Lake by PJ Lynch so it's it's about them all being kind of excellent examples or you know really great examples of that their own form so I think that was certainly one of the things we were looking out for or I was looking out for in, in this uh, process
1: Yeah definitely and I think that you know I'm I, I'm chair of this year's KPMG Children's Books Ireland Awards and what I think is great about about these awards is the transparency of the process. you know and D you mentioned this earlier that the criteria are up there and we also know who's on the judging panel as well. Uh, we can so we can see exactly what the criteria are we know the judges, what backgrounds they're coming from. Um, and they're all looking for something different um, when it comes to, you know, discussing the books every week. But yet the emphasis always returns to this idea of excellence. So we may differ in our views on what makes an excellent book, but reading is not an exact science and neither should it be. So it's through these discussions that we are, and these debates that we arrive at these decisions that we reach a consensus and that we decide what books should be celebrated on this particular occasion. But um, it's a really exciting process uh, because there are so many differing opinions on what makes a book excellent. Um, But the important thing then about the KPMG Children's Books Ireland Awards is that they look at Irish language texts as well as English language texts. And uh, Irish language texts are something that don't always um, feature in major awards either. So it's really important that we have this national award as well uh, that recognises texts in different languages too. They're my thoughts on it anyway.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great as well to because, you know, I've lived abroad for a while and I was surprised how like the people don't really know Irish uh, children's books so much or Irish authors. So this is a chance for us to celebrate Irish children's literature, which is producing really excellent, really high quality work for young readers. So so that's another kind of great thing, a great function that awards can kind of um, serve, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when, you know, the KPMG Children's Books Ireland uh, awards are announced, the rest of the world sits up and takes notice of what's going on in Ireland. And it takes note of these amazing writers and these am- amazing illustrators that we have here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that seems like a good kind of place to finish up, um, you know, celebrating the amazing quality of Irish children's literature. So just to say thank you so much again to Bailey, to Dee and to Sindhu for coming along and sharing your thoughts with us. We hope everyone listening has really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Yeah, and for more information on the Master's Programme in Children's Literature at Trinity College Dublin, do check out the School of English websites. And if you'd like to learn more about some of the things we've talked about and the books we've mentioned, please have a look at the ILFD website for additional resources and tune in to tune into the other podcasts in this series too.
2: Great, thanks for listening.
4: International Literature Festival Dublin is a Dublin City Council initiative kindly supported by the Arts Council Ireland. To learn more, visit www.ilfdublin.com.